Well, good morning. Good to see more of my forever family. And I'm sure you feel that way every Sunday when you come together, but it's really good to see you. I just had the privilege of going to the Alliance Council in Nashville and saw some that I hadn't seen for a number of years and saw Pastor Mike for a few moments, so it was really good to be there. I've noticed that guys tend to talk in terms of power or strength a fair amount of the time. This was caricatured on a a popular TV show several years ago where Tim the Toolman Taylor was always looking for a more powerful tool or car, and he invariably got himself into trouble when something was overpowered and he destroyed it or he hurt himself. Strong athletes are admired. The longest drive on the the golf course, the baseball batter who can knock the ball off the fence or up into the bleachers, the football player who can hurt other players on the field to make a few points, Um, powerful cars that can burn the tires off of the rims, powerful tools that can shorten the time that it takes to complete a certain job. I just got back from a a West Virginia mission trip, and we used power nail guns. Oh, are they fast compared to all of this? You know what I mean? Okay. I used to have a a electric power washer, and uh, this thing had sixteen hundred pounds of pressure per square inch. And I thought that was pretty powerful when I bought it, but then when I started trying to clean the driveway, I found out that I can only do about a one-inch strip at a time, and it took me forever. And then I found out about a friend who was going to be getting rid of a used power washer, and it was at 2,900 pounds per square inch. And uh, that made things go a lot faster, like 10 times as fast, okay? Power. Not only guys like it, I think women like it as well. But there is another kind of power that I'd like to talk to you about this morning that isn't measured by horsepower or the weight you can lift, the distance a ball is hit, or by opponents that you knock down on a football field. It's an inner strength of character or spirit that helps you or me face really difficult times in life. It might be a debilitating handicap. Uh, It could be a life-threatening disease. A hardship of some kind that would make most of us shudder, if not lose all courage. All of us. All of us will face challenges that will test us to the core in our lives. Unemployment. Or a miserable working environment. Recently, I I joined the uh, Girard Garden Club. Never thought it would happen, believe me. Never thought it would happen. It was mostly women. I thought, I don't think so. But anyway, they told me, well, they'd give you insurance coverage. I said, okay. So I I went to this meeting, and uh, there was a woman that I had known from the Chamber of Commerce there. And I said, so, Betty, how did work go today? Absolutely horrible. I didn't know what to say to her. Well, I hope the rest of the day goes a little bit better than that. (laughs) Anyway, I mean, you know, what do you say? Okay. Perhaps you're in a marriage 
or know of one that is struggling or that has failed. A, a rebellious child who seems determined to destroy his or her life. The list is practically endless of the really challenging things that we can face in this life. There is, is something that, that, that we have to go, so, go much deeper to reach for. And, and from a humanistic or psychological viewpoint, they would say, we just, you know, you need just to reach down deep inside and muster up the courage and stamina and will to get through this tough time. It'll be okay. Is that what God's word says? It does teach you that God created you and me with certain capacities that interact with his presence in our lives if we have a personal relationship with him through Christ. It caused the Apostle Paul to write things, some things that sound mystifying, maybe even irrational at times. For example, uh, 2 Corinthians 12.10, For when I am weak, then I am strong. Say what? That sounds weird. Actually, he wrote that in the context of God refusing to remove a difficulty from his life that he had Pleaded with the Lord three times, he said, to take this out of my life. I think we've all been there, don't we? Lord, take this away. God told Paul why he left that in his life. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, sufficient is a great word. It means Paul would have exactly what he needed from God. And I think that's an important principle for our lives. God's power is made perfect. It grows. It develops in the midst of our human weakness. Now, let's just take a moment here. We are weak, aren't we? I mean, I hope that you've come to realize that. Uh, we also know that God is omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. There are no limits to his power. But that raises a question then. How can the level of his strength seem to be dependent on the level of my or your weakness? If we are strong, does that mean that in some way his power is diminished? Not in any way. There are so many verses throughout the scripture that help us to understand this. One is found in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. My dad carved an eagle for me, and he put this verse on a plate underneath that eagle so I'd be reminded of the importance of God's power in my life. This verse assumes that there will be times in life when we won't feel and we won't be strong. And that's true of every single one of us in this room. But the point of this verse is that our hope and our faith must be in the Lord to have the strength that we need for the trials of life. So when, when the Apostle Paul said that he was actually strong when he was weak, it, it was about his understanding or living with the realization that he was, in fact, weak, but in the midst of that, hoping or putting his confidence in the Lord, his strength, and then receiving from the Lord what he needed. Now, I want to tell you, 
(laughs) As a believing dad, grandpa, and servant of the Lord, I want to live here. That's where I want to live. I don't want to live in some delusional place where I assume I have enough strength on my own without God. I want his strength to be at full strength or perfected, as Paul writes, every single day in my life. I want you to look with me at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is praying for the believers in Ephesus. And I want to start reading with verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, remember that that Paul in another place said, uh, challenged us, commanded us to pray without ceasing. In other words, don't stop praying. And I think he's doing that here, isn't he? He's grateful for his new brothers and sisters in Christ, so he thanks the Lord for them, but he's also interceding or praying for them, going to God on their behalf. Verse 17 tells us the first thing he prayed, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Or as the NIV translates that, so that you may know him better. Now, why should you and I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in our personal lives as well as for each other? So that you and I may know him better. Paul just kept praying this for the believers in Ephesus. He said, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I hope that that you are praying for the spirit of revelation, uh, wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God and that you have someone else in your life who is praying this for you. In other words, you are motivated through this passage and others to have true wisdom from God. One definition that, that we hear pretty consistently about wisdom is that it is the correct application of knowledge. That's a decent description. Okay, for for wisdom in general. But according to the Bible, wisdom means knowing and understanding things from God's perspective. According to God's word and life experience, there's nothing more important than having his perspective in our lives. We can gain knowledge about the world that we live in, but the answers to the why questions of life give meaning and purpose. I had COVID, uh, I guess it's 19. Someone said that since it's 21, we should call it uh, COVID-21. But anyway, uh, technicalities. And I had it back in December. And, and while I was going through this, thankfully, I didn't lo- have any respiratory problems. I didn't lose my sense of taste or smell and, and some of the bad ones that happened. But I had this one toe that turned bright red and was sore and made it difficult for me to walk. And my wife said, well, you've, you've got, I forget what she called it, but anyway, you should need to soak your foot. So I'm soaking my foot. And then I was reading a magazine and it said, one of the weird uh, occurrences that go along with COVID-19 is COVID toe. So I don't know if you've heard that testimony for, here's a COVID toe person right here, okay? It, by the way, it, that's all gone. I'm fine now. Okay, knowledge. I, we gain stuff like that that is useful or not useful, Okay. 
But the, the, the why questions of life have to do with meaning and purpose. They tell us why God put us here and his passionate desire to have us know him. The word revelation is similar. It's how God reveals his truth. Understanding the Bible, how to apply it to your life or my life. Both of these are, are focused on the most important person in your life, God. Paul prayed that they would have True wisdom, that God's truth would be revealed to them so that they would know God better, that they would be growing consistently in their relationship with God. My friend, if you have uh, put your faith in, in or trust in the Lord Jesus as Savior, this is a good marker for your life, for you to see how you are doing as a follower of Jesus Christ. So here's a question, real simple question, okay? As I am worshiping God this morning, Do I know him better than I did last Sunday? Very simple question. Did I pray and read the Bible this week so that he could help me grow in wisdom and reveal his truth to me? That's what Paul kept praying about, okay? Because we have an enemy, Satan, who never gives up in trying to take us away from God. In fact, Paul wrote in another passage that Satan actually snatches the truth from our minds if we allow him to. I had a a friend who I grew up with, and and, uh, I think probably from the time we were in elementary school, late elementary school, on into college. Uh, We went to Sunday school every week together. We went to morning worship every week together. We went to youth group in the evening, right before the evening service. Then we went to the evening service, and then we came back on Wednesday nights. We were in church all the time, learning, learning, learning about the faith and what it means to follow him. So anyway, he comes to to see me recently and and, uh, said uh, his marriage was falling apart. His wife had taken a PFA out on him and and whatever. He He was miserable. He was falling apart. And I felt led to share the gospel with him. And had the privilege of leading him to the Lord in my office. And he said, thank you. I've never heard that before. Like, say what? (laughs) You and I, I didn't say this to him, okay? You and I heard this at least five times a week, every week of our lives. But Satan had snatched that truth from his mind. Scripture says that today is the day of salvation. Uh, God, in addition to that, says, my spirit will not always strive with men. Sometimes we feel like we've got all the time in the world. Okay, I'll, I'll deal with that later. I'll respond to that later. Or I'll do this for God later. And, and we put these things off. Meanwhile, Satan is trying to snatch any truth that you've had in your life from your mind so that you can't respond to God. Instead of knowing God better, our life with him diminishes. We actually know him less than we knew him in an earlier time. You and I have people in our lives that we've lost touch with over the years. I can remember their names sometimes. I had a guy come up to me at, at, in council, and, and uh, I kind of studied him. I, I, I knew his face. I couldn't place where I'd met him or where he was from. He says, you don't remember me, do you? said, well, your face looks really, really familiar. Uh, and I, I just had to apologize. I just didn't remember exactly who he was, and he kind of walked away. So I got to get his, te- his number and text him an apology or something like that. But anyway, I remember their faces, at least what they used to look like, okay? 
but I've totally lost track of what they liked and what they didn't like over the years. Back when I was spending time with them, I knew all that about them. But now I don't have a clue about their lives. Now, here's my point. Don't let that happen with the Lord in your life. He's given you and me his word to get to know him better and better. He's given us his spirit so that we can have a heart tune-up every day. Will I live and react to everything with his heart and his priorities? What he reveals to me about every situation? Or will I just live by my own impulses? Now, I believe that, that one of the reasons that, that um, most of us are here today is to worship God and know him better. So if you're waiting for me to give you a few points, here you go. You just got some points for being here, okay? So attending worship is in line with this prayer that that uh, Paul is praying here. Pray that God will give you his spirit of wisdom and revelation each day and fill you with a longing, a longing to know him better. Scripture tells us that no one can come to the Father except the Spirit draw him. Say, Holy Spirit, draw me. Draw me to the Father, the heart of the Father. Paul's next prayer for the Ephesians is in verse 18. Having the hearts of your uh, eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in his saints. Now, Paul has already prayed that they would have a spirit of revelation, so this fits in with that. But he's praying very specifically about an important spiritual truth that is critical to our outlook on life and our future. The phrase, eyes of your hearts, is about God sharpening your spiritual insight in the deepest part of your bearing, being. Yeah, bearing. Being, okay? The part of you that will live on forever. Paul says he wants them and us to know the hope to which he, that is God, has called you and me. Let me just draw a distinction, okay? Hope is more than the emotion we have when we're confident or at least hopeful something will happen. I've heard countless people tell me through the years, I hope I go to heaven. I, I, I hope this will happen or that will happen. And, and they think that that's what the Bible means by hope. That's not it at all. That's only wishful thinking. That's not hope, not biblical hope. Hope in this verse includes the content or object of what we hope for, in this case, heaven, and being in the presence of the Lord forever and ever. That's why I called you my forever family earlier. I look forward to being with you forever and ever. In his first letter to the Christians in Corinth, Paul quoted from the prophecy of Isaiah when he wrote these words, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man even imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Is that a wow moment for you as a believer? If I can't even imagine what heaven is like, it must be amazing. Well, that's true in many ways. But Paul continues on with these words in the next verse. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. 
These are spiritual realities, Paul is praying, that we and the Christians in Ephesus will grow to understand that God has a wonderful place he's preparing for them and us. Now, what's amazing about this is that we not only get heaven, but he actually states that God gets us. You and I are called a glorious inheritance. Wow, I mean, honestly, I don't feel like much of a glorious inheritance. Do you, for God? You don't know whether I'm setting you up, so you're not going to agree with me or anything, right? The other day, and my wife will verify this for you, I was grumpy all day. I was not glorious at all. Not one bit, okay? So, I'm amazed at his mercy, grace, and love, which once I responded to it, guaranteed my place in heaven with him. But Clyde Davis, you, a glorious inheritance? Absolutely. That's how God views you and me. The Bible says that he rejoices over us with singing. I can't wait to hear him sing over me when I get to eternity. How about you? He loves us more than we can even comprehend. So I am a glorious inheritance, and so are you. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can confidently say, I am a glorious inheritance for God. And so I want you to say it with me. I am a glorious inheritance for God. You don't sound convinced yet. I am a glorious inheritance for God. One more time. You can kind of put yourself into this, okay, like you believe it. I am a glorious inheritance for God. Doesn't that make you want to get closer to the one who, out of intense love, did so much on the cross to bring to himself that he, that he calls you an inglorious inheritance? Okay, we finally get to the power part. Verse 19 is part of what Paul said. He is also praying for them. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Now, in verse 18, Paul said that he was praying that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened so that they would know the hope to which God called them, that they would know that God viewed them as a glorious inheritance. And here's the third thing that he wanted uh, them and us to have an understanding of and, and, and that we would have an, an enlightenment of a heart to grasp God's immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. That's you, that's me, okay, who believe. I can tell you from talking to believers through the years that it's very possible for you and me as Christ followers, hear me now, to live our lives and never experience this kind of power in our lives. I went on a mission trip to West Virginia recently, as I mentioned. And many of the tools, more tools than I've ever seen, okay, are battery-operated. Now, maybe you don't use power tools, but you have a, a cell phone with a battery, right? Okay? 
They are wonderful. You can go practically anywhere with them. Now here's, here's the thing, though. Battery-operated tools and, foon, and foons, phones are great if what happens? You plug them in to charge the battery. Now, you've probably had the experience that I've had of getting a tool out to use it, or last night when I looked at my phone and the part where the battery is was red, you know. Uh, and, and when you press the button, nothing. Or very slow movement. You, you have no choice just to plug it in and wait. Every person who comes to Christ starts their life on a fresh charge. I hope you've been around some, some new believers because they are exciting to be around. Uh, there was a pastor that I heard of down in Florida, and, and he was just dying on the vine. He just felt so stale in his spirit, and uh, the Holy Spirit said, go to the fringe. He says, say, what? What does that mean? And God revealed to him to get out where the new believers were, and it totally refreshed his spirit because everything is new and fresh and vital in their lives, and they're excited to be living for good. But that, that initial charge doesn't take you very far in living for Jesus Christ. In a sense, every Christian is a rechargeable model. But then this comparison of us with rechargeable tools falls all apart. Once I charge the battery on my drill, it can be totally away from the charger for a while. But let me ask you, can you or I be away from Christ according to his word? No, we can't. You and I need to stay close to the Lord all the time. In John 15, Jesus calls himself the vine, like in a vineyard. We are the branches that must remain in him. Or he lovingly tells us, you won't bear fruit in your life. Good spiritual results. Good character like Jesus, like the fruit of the Spirit, okay? You won't be productive. You won't grow as a Christian. One commentator wrote this, that this is the greatest collection of power and greatness words in all of Scripture. Immeasurable translates the Greek word hyperbalon. It means go far beyond or exceeding. Greatness translates the word megathos, and it means truly large and, and great. The, wow, the word power translates the word dynamis, which means great force and might. It's a word that is often used to describe Jesus' miracles. It's also a word from which we get the English word what? Dynamite, right? Okay. Well, you see, I don't know if you're right or not, but I'll take your word for it. Okay. So the power that Paul is praying that the Ephesians and, and we would experience includes all of these descriptions. He adds that it's the same power that brought Jesus back to life, conquering Satan, death, and the grave. We celebrate that on Easter, and I hope you just keep celebrating that all year round. Everything we have in life is based on Jesus' victory over Satan, death, and the grave. And Jesus won so overwhelmingly that he took his rightful place next to his Father in heaven and shares his Father's full authority over heaven, over this world, and over the entire universe. They can't even find the ends of the universe. Jesus is in charge, wherever, they, wherever it is, okay? So there is an amazing storehouse of power that God wants to share with you and with me. I like technology. 
Love it. Kind of interested in electric cars. I have a Ford Mustang GT with a V8 engine in it. I love that sound and I love that power. Okay. Now they have a Mach-E Mustang that is electric. And you may smile at that thing, but this baby can go 0 to 60 in 3.5 seconds. And that's as fast as the Shelby 500, which is the fastest car that Ford makes. Okay? But it can only go 300 miles on a charge. That's a problem. (laughs) You see, my son and daughter-in-law and granddaughters live 325 miles away. I likely would not make it to my son's house on one charge. I don't like the idea of almost making it. (laughs) I want to be sure that I have an accessible source of power all the time. Paul wouldn't be praying for us to have our hearts enlightened so that we would know, receive, experience, and be strengthened by this immeasurable great power if it wasn't available or accessible to us. We're so interested in in power tools, powerful cars, physical strength. Paul calls us to experience the power of Christ so that we can successfully meet all of the challenges that we will face in life. Friend, listen carefully now. Experiencing Christ's power for living is not a separate thing from praying for the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know God better. Or praying that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened so that we would experience hope and understanding that we are a glorious inheritance for God. This is not separate stuff. Now, it's obvious, first of all, that, that prayer is important, isn't it? Because Paul is praying for all of this to happen in their lives. I believe it's so important that we pray these kind of prayers for our own spiritual lives and for each other. Earlier we read another verse Paul wrote, that when he was weak, then he was strong. Uh, Does that mean that all we have to be is weak and then we'll automatically be strong? Now you know that doesn't work, right? (laughs) Because we've we've all been there many times in life, you know, just plain old weak, nothing less, okay, or any any better. Even when we expected that we might be strong. They were just weak, that's all. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul wrote that God told him, and us, I believe, uh, my, as God speaking, God's power is made perfect in weakness. And, and made perfect is translated from the Greek word teleo, which means to be completed. In Luke 18, 31, it's used to prophecies. It means for them to be fulfilled. If the word is used of a person's life and mission, it means to complete it. It's perfected when you and I, in the midst of not just feeling weak, but actually being inadequate and weak, pray and seek the Lord who is our strength. I want you to think about your salvation for a moment. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, did you, can you, do anything to save yourself. 
No, not according to God's word. Jesus did everything for us. We accept that by faith and we trust in him as savior. And when we do that, he gives us or will give you, if you haven't done that yet, the gift, the gift of eternal life. My friend, you have an amazing ally in God. He's only a prayer way. If you know him as savior, he lives within you. Scripture calls us the temple of God. He is ready, able, and willing to supply you with his incomparably great power if, this is the big if, if you will seek him in prayer. Paul wrote that you need to have the eyes of your heart enlightened to understand first that you as a believer have hope in Jesus. Secondly, to understand that yes, you, yes, you are a glorious inheritance to God. And third, that your enlightened spiritual heart will give you vision to grow so you can face the challenges in your life with his, with his resurrection power. Believing friend, do you receive this truth this morning? And will you, like Paul, pray that it will be true not only in your life, but also in the lives of Christians around you so that we are all strong in him? Let's bow in prayer. Oh, Lord, our strength, we come before you today. We are so grateful, Lord, for the many, many ways that you've touched our lives. You gave us life. You sustained us until we came to the place to receive the new life that you offer through Jesus. And then you continue to sustain us and keep us through the challenges of life. And we're here this morning, Lord, to trust you once again, Lord, for your incomparable power to be strong in our lives. That we would have the understanding that we need. That we would embrace how you view us as this beautiful gift of God. Lord, if there's someone here who has not yet trusted in you as Savior, I pray that they would pray that simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Please come into my life, save me, and strengthen me to be the person that you want me to be. Lord, for discouraged believers here, we've all been through a really tough year and some ups and downs with COVID-19 and all the rest of the junk that life throws at us. Lord, I pray that they would be encouraged in their spirit, knowing that you are willing and ready to lift them up and strengthen them for all that will be coming. Lord, bless us in this way. We trust you in the name that is above every name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.